Amen. Will you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 5? Just three weeks, I think, since I was last here. And the last time I was here, in the evening, I took, first, uh, I took my sermon from chapter 5 and verse 13 from the Sermon on the Mount. Tonight I propose to deal with verses 14 to 16 of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, a put a light lamp under a bushel, a basket, but on a candlestick, a lampstand, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So, the believer, the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be salt in the earth. The man or woman who fits what we might call the identikit of the Beatitudes is the salt of the earth, a preservative, a seasoning agent, spiritually and morally in this world. But there's more. They are to be more. Those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him, profess to follow him, there is, there is more. And it is this, that they are to be the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. That's quite a thought. Are you a beacon of light in this world for the Lord Jesus Christ? That is the challenge that we have in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. The implication is, of course, that the world is in darkness and the only people that have real light are Christians, those who are converted, those who are regenerated, those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are lights in this world. Otherwise, there is darkness which prevails. So the world is in darkness and you who are Christ's are to shine in it with a bright and shining light. The implication is that the soul that is saved by the Lord was once in darkness. It's only as a soul is saved that there's any real light in the world. I know that there is the written word of God which is a lamp to our feet and a light, light to our path. That is true of the written word of God. And there was also the light of creation. If people had the eyes to see and recognize the creation, 
as that which which is understandable as coming from from the hand of God there is that light of creation but essentially it is his true followers who bring spiritual light in this world for people to see there is therefore responsibility resting upon those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be what they should be to be what they should be that is to say salt in the earth and light in the world not only salt but also light and the implication for our text is at least twofold first of all by nature darkness prevails in this world you have to understand that in order to understand something of what it is to be a light in this world we understand the darkness that prevails in the world so that we can distance ourselves from it differentiate ourselves from it now I speak of course of spiritual darkness the darkness prevails in the world darkness in people's minds and hearts with reference to God with reference to truth with reference to eternity not all increase in knowledge and technology in the world can compensate for moral and spiritual darkness we know that darkness is a terrible thing in nature we're so thankful for light for electricity, for torches, we're thankful for the sun. And darkness can feel oppressive. Just look out there and there's something oppressive about darkness. Darkness will be dispelled in glory, of course. It's only light there. No darkness. No darkness. So we're thankful for light. We can't see where we're going or what we're doing or what dangers lurk when everything is dark. During the night watches, we wait for the dawning. During the winter nights, we wait for the spring. During our power cuts, we stretch for candles and lamps. And this is true in nature. It is this general view of natural darkness that makes the idea of darkness so apt for man's natural spiritual state. before God as those who are sunk in sin and dominated by it it's in this context that you have the gospel Jesus speaks to those who do not believe in him as saviour as walking in darkness that's what people are doing they're walking in darkness those who have not Christ as their saviour and lord they are walking in darkness and that is true of any in here we're still unconverted and still unsaved you're walking in darkness although you're walking near the light as you're hearing it and as you're opening it and reading it and singing it we have the picture of scripture of salvation as a translation of a soul from darkness to light from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's son we have that in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Sinners, Peter says, are called from darkness to light. 1 Peter 2 and 9. From darkness to light. Those who are unsaved <coughs> are said <coughs> to prefer darkness to light because their deeds are evil. 
You see how the term darkness is used figuratively. It speaks of man's basic spiritual condition. It is dark, the spiritual condition, because the unsaved man or woman is spiritually blind. They don't see their real state as lost sinners. And part of the experience of conversion is the conviction of sin, the conviction of a soul that they are in darkness and need the light, the light of God's word, the light of God, the light of Christ. They need Christ for their soul. They don't see Christ as their only answer and remedy for their sin. So they must see, seek the remedy that is in Christ for the sinner. I remember some 60 odd years ago when I was in the Boy Scouts, we did a rather crazy thing. We decided to go what was called a midnight hike. It was all dark. Uh, we went on this midnight hike. No lights or anything. Over the Pentland Hills near Edinburgh. But even with the little modicum of light we had, how easy it was for us, well, just to go round in circles. That's exactly what we did. We went round in circles. There was no daylight. We went round in circles. And that's what the unsaved soul is doing. The unsaved soul is going round in circles. They're not walking in the light. That's the state of the unconverted today. They're walking in darkness. They're walking in darkness. And it's, if they remain that way, their state hereafter is called and described as outer darkness. Think of it. Perish the thought. And yet, treasure the thought as well, because that is the state of those who remain unsaved, who remain strangers to grace, remain strangers to God and to hope. That is the end of it, unless they're saved, unless there is a response to the gospel. For unbelievers... The gloom of darkness, says Peter, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 17, is reserved forever. Jesus frequently taught about the lost being cast into outer darkness, where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the teaching of Jesus. It isn't just the theory of some crazy church. It's the word of God. It's the word of God, and it is the truth, because it comes from the lips of the Saviour himself. So what's in your heart? What's in your devotion? What of Christ? What is he to you? This must be everybody's first concern. The idea of prevailing darkness perfectly characterises the moral state of our land, doesn't it? For example, there's a bill before the Scottish Parliament to create censorship or so-called safe zones it has to be said, except for the aborted babies, around abortion clinics and hospitals, safe zones. And there's, it's envisaged by this bill, it's only just a proposal. Um, it involves two, a 200-metre uh, zone around these places in which it's, it, will be, it will be a criminal act to interfere with anybody or to try to persuade anybody not to go into the abortion clinic. And that includes private homes. Private homes within 200 metres 
of a, of a um, abortion clinic and a, they put up a pro-life poster or some sort of encouragement of people to think about these things, they can be criminalized, criminalized and fa face very heavy fines. It's appalling. This is real darkness. And, but such things are welcomed as modern progressive steps. In reality, they are destructive of our society, not to say in defiance of the revealed will of God, word of God. They open up us as a society to his judgment. It's said that by and large, talking about this darkness, you see, it says by and large, the 19th century and the 20th centuries were safe places for Britain to live in. A few years ago, an academic commented on how increasing trends of crime in this country went hand in hand with the declining impact of evangelical Protestant faith. We all know that the influence of the authority of the Bible has largely disappeared from public life and even from large areas of the church. In 1900, says this, this writer, this academic, Professor Davis, there were three crimes for every thousand people. By the 1980s, it was five crimes for every hundred people. I'm not sure what it is now, but it's probably more than that. So we're an increasingly dark society, increasingly violent, increasingly Increasingly, it is, sees the multiplication of criminal activity. And so as ignorance of the message of the Bible has increased, just so crime and immorality have escalated. This is prevailing darkness. The evil one, what is he called? Satan, what is he called? The God of this world who has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them, unto them. It's an amazing blindness that this does not twig with people. As if you can have atheism or practical atheism and a society free of biblical morality, which is not rampant with moral and spiritual decadence and isn't found to be destroying itself. This is a great challenge because the church today itself is largely sleepwalking in darkness, when in many churches the authority of Scripture has been all but abandoned. So where does the remedy lie for such a spiritual and moral darkness in our age? Well, you know, surely. It lies in the Word of God. It lies in a work of God's grace in the hearts and lives of men and women and young people just like you. It lies in, yes, those who have light, the light of God's word, the light of God, and are behaving as light torchbearers in their own lives, in their families, in their villages, in their communities, in their workplace, disseminating light by their behavior, by their words, by their deeds, by their compassion. This is the challenge for us today. Bear in mind that if men and women and young people are not delivered from the natural darkness of their sin, they will perish in outer darkness. 
a sobering thought. So that the first thing to say about what we have in verses 14 to 16 is that the backdrop is darkness, the darkness of sin. And how sin prevails and darkness prevails. The darkness of sin prevails in this world. But then the second thing to say about these verses is light is to shine through the lives of believers. This is where it gets very challenging, of course. Because this is a remarkable statement. You are the light of the world. And that is true of the Christian. If you are a Christian tonight, this is what you are, and this is what you are to be, and this is how you are to live, as the light of the world. You are to be like a city on a hill, he says, whose light can be seen far and wide when it is dark. Here's what the disciple of the Lord is to be, light in this world. As Jesus is the light of the world, how will that be evident? From the words and from the lives of professing Christians. Can't get away from it. This is something to be seen in their faces as the children of Israel saw Moses. Moses' face shine when he came down the mountain after communing with the Lord God. This should be seen how? Well, in the love shown, the love shown, the care and understanding and concern, especially for what is most needful, believing and receiving the gospel. The light Jesus is talking about is the light of a person renewed by the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. It is the light of a soul right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The light of one who has come to faith and obedience to Christ. This is the light of the soul who has come into possession of the gospel, of his grace, of gospel truth as it directs their lives. This is the light of a soul who has a living hope through the grace of God, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Christ in them, the hope of glory. This is the, this is the light of the first of being born again and whose destination is heaven and heavenly glory. This is the only light that finally counts in this world. All else, spiritually speaking, is darkness. Jesus says this further on in this, in this uh, sermon in chapter 6. We read it in chapter 6 and verse um, 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. And if thine eye be evil... Thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Here's a world full of darkness then, in which the believer is to shine morally, spiritually, Here's a challenge, a challenge to the disciple, follower of Jesus. You have him, therefore your dark mind and heart have been enlightened. 
you have him. Therefore, you are right with God and are a citizen of heaven. How are you acting? Are you acting as if that were the most important thing in the world to you and for everybody else as well? Are you concerned that others should come and trust in the Lord and be enlightened in their hearts concerning him? Paul says in one place, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Do you feel that way, believer? Jesus presents you with this challenge, and it's a twofold challenge. First of all, negatively, don't hide your light. That is what he says in verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, a basket, but on a candlestick and give it light to all that are in the house. Don't hide your light. What have you in the gospel? Well, the Lord has given you by grace the message of salvation and the Christian hope. This is to be shared. You have to make sure you don't put, put or keep your light hidden under a basket, as it were. There should be no such thing as a secret disciple. That is an anomaly. That is an anomaly. The converted soul has the truth. They have been enlightened and they are not walking in darkness. They must not be hidden. There should be no reluctance to confess Christ openly. This is something clear in Romans chapter 10. Verse 9. Romans 10 and 9. What saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. It will mean, of course, living, living the life and walking the walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a negative thing. You're not to hide your faith. You're not to hide your light. You're to hide, not to hide Christ. You're to show him forth. Show forth the praises of the one who has called you from darkness to light. And so then we come to the positive thing. Let your light shine. This is what we have in verse 16. Let your light so shine before men, before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, it is culpable if the believer is not visible, if the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is not visible. People are to see such works and words that will direct the thought of men and women to think upon their souls, to think upon the Lord, to think upon the, the matters of all matters of life and death and where they will end unless they have Christ in their hearts by faith. People are to see your good works. 
It will mean studying to be consistent in your behavior so that people will get no mixed messages. That your hope and confidence is placed in the word of God and in the person of God's Son, the word who was made flesh and dwelt among us. You know, example is a powerful thing. For good or, for good or ill, we are all the time an example. Every waking moment we're an example of one sort or another. Search your heart and ask yourself seriously today, what sort of example am I? What sort of light do I shed in this world for Christ and for his truth and for his gospel? What sort of example am I in graciousness, in love to sinners, in the knowledge of God and his word? What sort of example am I in attendance in the means of grace? What sort of example am I in enduring through difficulties and adversities and bearing these things with resilience and a resigned spirit? Who knows what discouragement some ill-placed some ill-placed words or actions of mine might be to the young or to those outside the congregation. So I say, take care. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven and not have reason to think ill of these things, to think ill of Jesus, to think ill of the faith which you say that you profess. The professing Christians were concerned about what poor examples they might be. They might be more concerned about their lack of love for the Lord and for the brethren and for the ordinances of public and private worship. Then these things might be a whole lot better. Things might be a whole lot better in the churches. And there would be more light disseminated in the world. Beloved, we have a lot of work to do, good work to do good work to do, spiritual work to do before the Lord and before the world. Let your light shine. You are the light of the world. Something, something to take on us, isn't it? Another place Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. And he says, he adds this, he says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It's a privilege for a believer to reflect his light and life. <coughs> Albeit they will be moons to his sun. This is the whole point of what Jesus says here about his followers being the light of the world. They have instruments for spreading the light that comes through the gospel into the human sin, the sinful human situation. The light must get out. So are we bright lights for Jesus these days? By the manner of our speech, by the manner of our lives, by our deeds, by our words, are we bright lights in this world? you perhaps say to me with a sad shake of your head, oh, I wish I was, I wish I was. Pastor, I wish I was. I wish I was a bright light in these days. 
But you see, we shouldn't so readily excuse ourselves. Yes, we are struggling with indwelling sin. Yes, we have the world and the flesh and the devil to, to contend with. And we must contend successfully with those, prayerfully. We must stand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. But you see, we shouldn't so readily excuse ourselves. Where else is light going to come from, if not from disciples of Christ, acting as disciples of Christ, according to his word, according to his teaching, according to his, his character? What are they to be? Walking lampstands. Well, if this is to be so, then we must humble ourselves before the Lord, must deal with our sin, and we must seek grace for our lives. That's what we must do. It will not do, then, to hide the light. Let me say a word to the unsaved, the unsaved tonight. Any here who are not saved, not professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I say to you, you must seek this light. What do you do? You go to the Word. You go, you read it. You seek the Lord in prayer until you have peace for your soul. You don't rest till then, lest you be overtaken by death and find yourself plunged into outer darkness, for which there is no remedy, for which there is no relief. These are the issues for your life if you are an unsaved soul tonight. But for those who are saved, for those who are believers in the Lord Jesus, if you profess faith in him, the church and its testimony will, will die if you are found wanting of being salt in the earth and light in this world. The testimony will die if you are found wanting in these, uh, these cases, if salt has lost its savour and uh, light is hidden under a basket, hidden from sight, from people's sight, but your life must tell for Christ. Your, your life must tell for Christ. Your concern for life consistent with the truth and concern for the means of grace in private and public your life must tell for these things. What would we do without life? How dark this world would be without believers. How dark it is without believers in places where there are precious few of them. I'll leave you with this challenge. If everyone was as I am, would this church continue as a force, ask yourself? Am I truly convicted that by my actions, this church and faith in Christ will flourish and be a beacon of light in our dark day? There is a challenge. And the church will only be a beacon of light in society if those who comprise it are themselves the salt of the earth and the light of the world. May the Lord bless these thoughts upon his holy word. Let us pray.
Loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank Thee that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank Thee for our Saviour who is the light of the world and who disseminates light through His vessels, through His instruments, through His own people. As they reflect His light, show forth the praises of Him who has called them from darkness to light. Help us, Lord, we pray, in these dark days in which we live. And we pray that thou wouldst help us to take a stand for Christ, for truth, for righteousness, for holiness, for worship, for public worship. Oh, help us in this, Lord, we pray, that we would not be found at fault in not being salt in the earth, and light of the world. O Lord, draw near to us in thy grace and goodness. Cleanse us from all our sins. Receive us graciously and love us freely. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us sing to the Lord in closing in Psalm 37. Psalm 37, and singing the first seven verses. The first seven verses. <clears throat> For evildoers fret thou not thyself unquietly, nor do thou envy bear to those that work iniquity. For even like unto the grass, soon be cut off, down shall they, and like the green and tender herb, they wither shall away. Set thou thy trust upon the Lord, and be thou doing good, and so thou in the land shalt dwell, and verily have food. Delight thyself in God, he'll give thine heart's desire to thee. Thy way to God, commit him trust, it bring to pass shall he, and like unto the light he shall thy righteousness display. And he thy judgment shall bring forth like nine noontide of the day. Rest in the Lord and patiently wait for him. Do not fret for him who prospering in his way success in sin doth get. These verses of Psalm 37 from the beginning down to verse 7. For evildoers fret thou not.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.